Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. A great lead, thank you, Jared, and uh, great worship this morning. Great spirit amongst the church, and uh, it's just good to be together. And it's my privilege this morning to share the word. And uh, so, uh, I wonder if you have a Bible, however you access it, that uh, you might want to follow. But uh, also, the words are going to come up on the screen. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm uh, 42. Psalm 42, <clears throat> and. Uh, Normally, I, uh, I, for time's sake, try and resist reading uh, too much of the, of the scripture. Normally, just read a verse and go in. But I'd like to read this morning the whole of this psalm. There's just 11 verses. Uh, Morgan's going to put it on the screen. And it's from the New International Version. So the psalm says this. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. Why people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under, under the protection of the, of the mighty one. With shouts of joy and praise amongst the festive throng. Why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls unto deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go on mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony and my foes taunt me, saying, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. As Jared uh, introduced us this morning, we are... Uh, during this summer season, we understand there's toings and froings in the life of Arena Church, both here and at Ilkeston, people being away, uh, people seeing family. But we also want to be very intentional about the thread of ministry uh, during this season. We've drawn people in to share and minister, and the theme has been the Psalms. Um, and uh, uh, we've been blessed already. People have talked about people ministering their favourite psalm. I'm not sure this morning uh, this is necessarily my favourite psalm. There's a sense where they're all favourite. But this is a psalm that has ministered to me in recent times. And I want it this morning to, by God's grace, minister to you. Because uh, on three occasions uh, in this passage, we are encouraged to put our hope in God. The Psalms, as you know, were uh, written by a number of people inspired by the Holy Spirit. King David being uh, the most prolific of the writers. But this morning we're going to look at a Psalm that wasn't written by him in a few moments. And I'll just explain that. Other writers were the, uh, 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 Moses and Solomon amongst others. And uh, we often think about the Psalms with, in relation to, to praise and thanksgiving. Um, 
Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. It's in the Psalms. It's a good thing to give thanks to the Lord. It's in the Psalms. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. It's in the Psalms. And so the expression through music, through instruments, through voice, it's the breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. It's all in the Psalms. But we can sometimes, in the understanding of that, miss also uh, a lot of what the Psalms says. Because the Psalms actually also digs deep into the life and soul and journey of the people that wrote it. You see, ministry best comes out of a journey that people have gone through. And so you will find in the Psalms as well, and particularly if you read the 50s to the 70s of the Psalms, you'll find angst, you'll find despair, you'll find frustration, you'll find questions, you'll find crisis. And as well, you'll find victory and blessing and dependency and breakthrough because God is always, always faithful. Psalm 69.1, the psalmist said, Save me, Lord, for the waters come up to my neck. Anybody ever been in an experience in life, not literally, but where you feel that you're drowning in the circumstances of life. Save me, Lord. I'm drowning. God, uh, the Message Bible says, God save me because I'm in this over my head. These are some of the expressions of the Psalms. And in it all, we see people triumphantly coming through, finding that God's grace is sufficient, that even in our weakness that we're made strong, so that we can always give thanks to the Lord and praise his holy name. For the Lord is good. Psalm 42. Put your hope in God. This psalm was written not by David, but by a a musical band, a minstrel band called the Sons of Korah. It's thought that they travelled around and they would play the songs of God and uh, they would lead the people in worship. It'd be Nathan and his group travelling around, lifting people's hearts to the Lord as they worshipped God. But something had gone wrong. We're not totally sure why, but something had gone wrong. And so they, in this psalm, reflected uh, how that they were pouring out their life to the Lord. The first verse starts with an expression of a worshipper. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. People say at times, well, why do you sing songs in church? Because it's an opportunity, not the only opportunity of the week, because we can do it on our own, but it's an opportunity to come together as a Christian community. And one of the most natural things that we could think of doing is to pour out our soul to God. To say, God, we long for you. We believe in you. We love you. You've been good to us again. So that's what we do. And that's what we've done this morning as we've, from the depths of our being, sang our praise to God. Of course, we could be here all day and all week. But there are other things that demand our life and attention. There are always people that said the worship could have gone on. Well, the worship always goes on. It goes on tomorrow when you're at work. It goes on in every context of your life because our bodies are a living sacrifice of worship unto the Lord. But here in Psalm 42, the sons of Korah began to express something of their pain because what had happened was, and we're not totally sure why it had taken place, but one of their friends had been taken from them. It was either somebody that was part of the band or somebody that they knew. 
And it seems as though they've maybe been taken in exile, been taken captive by an enemy uh, tribe from the north, and they've been taken away from their primary desire to be in the house of God. And they were downcast. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? I'll come to that in a moment. When we're thinking about downcast here, the words that relate to it are despondency, uh, melancholy, low in spirit, lacking vitality. A word of caution here. As uh, people, we're very conscious that we live in a season where uh, mental health is very much within the the understanding of society, not only our society, but worldwide. Could go for many reasons why uh, that is the case. Um, And of course, we won't this morning. I say carefully this morning that it, it may be on occasions that people would need professional help with that. And we understand that. We pray people through. But there's a more general application. God is the God of hope in that situation. But the reality is, friends, that every one of us at times will experience things in life that seemingly go wrong, that would cause us to feel downcast, that would cause us maybe to feel melancholic, low in in vitality, sense of esteem taken from us. And God's heart to us this morning is there is an answer. And the answer is this morning that we put our hope in the Lord. What were the reasons for this downcast state of this particular person? Well, firstly, the person was a prisoner or a hostage. It alludes to that in verses 5 and 7 of uh, the passage. As I said uh, just a a moment or two ago, it's possible that he'd been taken captive by an invading tribe and was away from his home city, exiled, oppressed. And lonely. But interestingly, also, he was away from the house of God. He was away from the place of worship. He says there uh, in uh, verse 4 I remember as I pour out my soul how I used to be in the house of God under the protection of the mighty one. In the Old Testament, the house of God was very, very significant. The place where people met. It had a significance that if I can say it carefully, it was obliterated through the cross. I'll come to that in a moment. The reality is that in the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people, but in the New Testament, God has a people for his temple. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. But in the Old Testament, often there would be sacrifices, uh, monuments, uh, stones that would be raised to God. You remember when the people were wandering through the wilderness under the leadership of Moses, They had a place to meet. It was a portable tent called the tabernacle. When King David emerged to the throne, the first thing that he did was to establish a place of worship. It was called the tabernacle of David, very different from Moses, with great leaping and dancing and singing and praising music to the Lord. But a place where people, man, a place where the Ark of the Covenant, the sign of God's visible presence with the people, came and the people worshipped. And then David said, I'm going to build a great big temple to the glory of God. God says, you're not going to do it. But you get the blueprint ready. You call in the offering and then allow your son Solomon to build the temple. And this temple was amazing. Absolutely incredible. Until the armies from the north came down and ransacked it. And for 70 years, the people were in exile. And the walls of the city were broken down and the temple was in ruin. It was a sign of God's displeasure prophetically over the people that had been faithless and turned from him. 
And then a group started to come back and they tried to build a temple and they got fed up. They thought, you know what? We'll build our own houses first. And there's a little book in the Old Testament that very few people read because nobody reads those last 12 books of the Old Testament called the Minor Prophets because they seem hard and seem boring. But it's all God's word, Jared. And there's a little bit called Haggai. It's an amazing book. And the prophetic word came to the people. It was simply this. No more complicated than this. I am with you. And the people began to rebuild the temple. And then some people said, well, it's never going to be as good as Solomon's. Until God says the glory of the latter house is greater than the glory of the former. And what God is going to do in the future, friends, is always greater than what he's done in the past. The greatest churches are yet to be planted. The greatest move of God is yet to come. The greatest revival is yet to be poured out because God is always working into the purposes of his future. The problem is with many people in church, they're stuck in the past. They're forever saying it's never going to be as good as it used to be. And this morning, friends, we need to lift our eyes and to see that God is always on the move to do something greater than he's ever done in the past. So this person removed from the place It caused him great pain. Through the cross, we are now the temples of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that we don't need to gather, but it means that God brought in a new order of where his presence dwells. His presence now dwells in our hearts. Day after day, week after week, month after month, but removed from the presence of God. Imagine. That you were see the problem is so often we take church for granted, we take gathering for granted, we take Sunday for granted. But imagine being in prison. Imagine because of your faith being removed from being able to meet with your friends in Arena Church for the next 12 months. You'd miss it. You'd miss it. We know that you can connect with God, we know that we can pray, we know that we can reach out to Him, but there's something about the gathering. The results were clear. He longed for the presence of God. He was hurting. He says in the verses there, he says that in verse 3, he says, my tears have been my food day and night. And people have been saying, where is your God? Anybody here ever gone through an experience where your staple diet is weeping and crying? It's been so deep. It's been so hard. It's been so difficult. Maybe a family situation. Maybe a circumstance that's hit you right out of the blue. Maybe a bereavement. Maybe that something's come that you weren't ready for. And all you've been able to do is weep, 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 weep. Here's this man. This is where he is at. And of course, in those situations at times, it may be that you've got members of your family that aren't believers. And their comment is exactly the same as the comment here. So where is your God? How's he going to get you out of this one? Why don't you get those people down the arena praying? It doesn't seem to be working. And people are very, very quick, as you know and I know, to run to those sorts of accusations. In all of this, God came. God came. In the pain, in the weeping, in the ridicule, God came with a word. Put your hope in God. We live in a world, friends, that somebody's described as a generation of no hope. And I want to try and come against that this morning. God is an amazing God of hope. 
But I never cease to be amazed at situations that people get themselves into. And sometimes it can have catastrophic consequences. I don't know if you saw that story on the news last week of uh, last weekend of a, a man in the States called Richard Russell, an everyday, ordinary guy that worked as a baggage handler in Seattle Airport. And then last Friday, Saturday, without permission, he took a Bombardier Q400 aeroplane and again, without permission, made an unauthorized takeoff and began to perform uh, amazing daring maneuvers over the Seattle sky. Somebody said, well, how did he learn these things? Apparently he learned them on a machine. Never been in the plane before. And then I don't know whether you saw the news, but the air traffic controller begins to engage in combination with the pilot and it seemed as though it was high jinks. It seemed as though he was going to have a bit of a laugh. He was probably going to lose his job. But then he got more serious than that because the guy said, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to entertain everybody. And then I'm going to dive this plane into a forest outside the city of Seattle so nobody got hurt, but I'm still going to be in it. And the desperate conversation between the air traffic controller and Mr. Russell trying to get him to come to a place where he would land the plane safely. He didn't do that. The plane nosedived into a forest on the edge of the city. No one else was hurt. And his last words before he took this disastrous action was this. I suppose I'm just a broken sort of guy. And it seems to me that he'd lost all hope. I say it carefully, friends, this morning, but the biggest killer of men under 45 in this country is suicide. Because people have lost all hope. And this morning, if you've got a physical ailment, if you've taken on a poison, then you need an antidote. You need something that will counteract the poison that is within you. And this morning, the enemy seeks to ruin our lives. The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life and have it in all of its fullness. And the enemy, friends, wants to fill us with despair. He wants us to look into the future and all we can see is a black hole with no hope. But I've got good news this morning. That's why I'm a preacher. That's why I believe the Bible. That's why I'm in church. That's why I'm a Christian. Because God is a God of hope. God is someone that wants to bring the antidote to our situation and turn the situation around. Listen, hope is not sunny optimism. Asking you to walk around with a great big cheesy grin on your face 24-7. That's not hope. In fact, some of those people get on your nerves because you feel like saying, get real, it can't be like that all the time. Hope, friends, is not uh, being captive to whim or superstition. Hope is not getting lucky that your lottery ticket comes up this week. I read the article last week of the youngest winner of the lottery ever. She was 16 at the time. She came from Cumbria. And uh, she said that nobody gave her any advice as to how to handle 1.7 million pounds at 16 years of age, even though that was denied by uh, the, uh, the, the, the people that run the lottery. And she blew it. She blew it on cars. She blew it on... on uh, drugs she blew it on just high living and now she's got no money she's got a disabled uh, little child she's never been happier in her life because she says when I had all that I was so empty inside so empty 
And friends, God's not got anything against material blessings, but I'm telling you, they'll never fill the hole that only hope can bring. Never, never, never. No, it's none of those things. I like Vine's Bible dictionary definition of hope. It says this, that hope is a confident expectation in the unseen and the future. It's a confident expectation in the unseen and the future. You can go out of Arena Church this Sunday lunchtime with a fresh perspective on next week. Even though we're a relatively small congregation in the great scheme of the global church, if I was to stop everybody going out and saying, how's your week looking? There's that meeting. There's that boss. There's that issue. There's that challenge. There's that bill. And they're all around the room. And the fact is this morning, friends, that God wants to fill us with hope from heaven that causes us to realise that we can face this week, this month, the rest of this year, and the rest of our life with a confident expectation in Him and the future. And we thank God for that. Why Psalm 42 this morning? Well, part of my role in life and is to be part of the leadership of of Arena Church and as you know I was seconded with Sharon for 18 months to help a church in Manchester which is finding a fresh life under a pastor that lives in that city now uh, and, uh, and also to be uh, part of my week is involved in the leadership of the Fellowship of Assemblies of God a 550 strong network of churches in our nation the sixth biggest denomination in the world with 68 million adherents and I'm part of the national leadership team and I take responsibility for this central area. And on October the 12th, two years ago, we made a decision which I won't go to. But the only way I could describe it, friends, and forgive the bluntness, is all hell broke loose. And uh, I, I was in a place of despair. I don't let everybody know that. And there's sometimes when you give away a little bit from the platform, but sometimes you just got to suck it up and minister. And that happened week after week after week. So I'm the guy that sleeps like the proverbial baby. You know, I try and embrace the day and then I go to bed and... And for months I never slept through the night, never. In fact, three and four o'clock in the morning became my best friend. And the Psalms 50 to 70, the Psalms of angst, the Psalms of God, you're not listening. The Psalms of... They became my best friends. They became my best friends. But in all of that, I always had a sense that God was going to work things through. We're in a better place. And the reason I came through that experience is because I went to Psalm 42 again and again and again. And however despairing I felt, I always knew that I could put my hope in my God. And He would bring me through. As I come to a conclusion this morning, I want to just give four things that hope is. I speak these, I say it carefully this morning, friends, prophetically. I, uh, I sometimes wish I wasn't a shepherd. Because uh, I've been off for a couple of weeks and I, I, you know, we went to Skegness for the day with our little granddaughter. And we had a great day, but all I could say as well is lost sheep without a shepherd. Sharon goes in the shop sometimes. I'm watching people come past. I'm counting how many wheelchairs go past. I'm, count, I'm seeing that little lad. I'm thinking, what time did his mum get up this morning to get him ready? 
the brokenness, the despair, the downcast spirit that people gather. You don't have to look very far to see it. And God, in Jesus Christ, is the answer. He really is. And so as we hope in God this morning, we hope in God because hope is foundational. In Hebrews, it says faith is being sure of what we can't see and certain of what we hope for. Faith and hope have a very close connection to each other and hope is absolutely crucial to faith and faith to hope. It goes deep. It's what we build upon. It's the beginning to the end. It's absolutely crucial in our Christian journey. Number two, faith is internal. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3.15 that always have a reason for the hope that is within you. It goes on to say, and to share that hope with meekness and respect. In other words, you don't have to be the person that's forever winning the argument but losing the person. Sometimes you've got to just sort of hold back up because there's another chance to talk to that person that's on the journey to where you are. But let me just say this morning that when something is in you, it will inevitably come out of you. And often... The living out of hope is the precursor to talking about it. Those of you that work in uh, office environments, maybe some of you work in male-dominated contexts of perhaps building sites or whatever it is, and uh, the guy's not going to shout out to you in the crowd, hey, you're the Christian, aren't you? Uh, Because in that context, they're going to have banter. What were you doing? Oh yeah, you're the church man. But in the quietness of that broken relationship that they're trying to navigate, in the challenge of that wayward child, they're going to catch you in the quietness of the tea break. They're going to say, can I have a word with you before you go home tonight? Because the hope that is within you inevitably comes out of you. They see it and are drawn to it. And people are desperate for hope. They're hungry for it. They're starving for it. And if you will carry it in your life, internalize it, it will give you the opportunity to speak about it. Hope thirdly is uh, inspirational. In the book of Romans, it says that Abraham, against all hope, believed and in hope believed. I don't have time to open that up this morning. Simply to say that Abraham, an Old Testament leader, in response to God's promises over his life, ran to hope. The promises of God over him were eye-watering, mind-boggling, doubt-defeating, and yet against all hope, he believed. This morning, friends, the Bible says that if you'll step into faith, you're a son of Abraham. Because he was justified by his faith in God. God's got no favourites. What God did for Abraham, he can do for you. There are people here who have got promises over your life and you still don't believe them. You still don't believe that God can do it. You still don't believe that it really is for you. And God says this morning, allow that faith to be the inspiration to your life and against all hope believe and see him do a great thing in you. And number four, hope's eternal. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 that we've only, if we've only got hope for this world, then we're to be pitied. We're to be at all men most miserable. I tell you, friends, one of the things that 
continually motivates me to be a good minister of Jesus Christ is not the natural, it's not the temporal, it's the eternal. Every time I'm confronted with the eternal, I realise that we are not just flesh and blown. We are body, soul and spirit. God has laid eternity in our hearts. We are here this morning with a passion because there's an eternity to consider. You are not just here for now. You are not just here for this particular part of life. You are here for a purpose that sets you up for eternity. And God wants to do something amazing in your life for God's glory. You know, sometimes we, in the news, we become conscious of our mortality when somebody famous dies. A great soul singer died this week, Aretha Franklin. What a singer. What a gift. At five years of age, she played the piano and then she just had to listen to a song once and she'd play it. Perfect. That's a gift. She's a great pianist as well as a great singer. It masqueraded a completely dysfunctional life, by the way. Even though I don't think she ever went too far away from Jesus. But the reality is today, friends, there's going to be 150,000 people in the world that are going to die. Most of them aren't going to get on the news. Have songs played after them. But the reality is that eternity is always closer than what we think. If you've only got hope for this world, you're to be pitied. That's what the Bible says. If you've only got hope in your material possessions, if you've only got hope in yourself, then you need to recognise that you need something that is going to take you from here to there. And I want to tell you, this is not just made up fairy tales. I'm telling you, it's real. I'm telling, well, even recently when I've conducted funerals, I've been so conscious of eternity. I've been so conscious of people going into the reality of God's presence. And the Bible says also, that outside of Jesus Christ, if we push back on him, we're into the reality of not being in his presence. Eternity is the great comfort for our mortality. It's the great leveler for our humanity. And it's the great motivation for our ministry is what somebody says. So as I close, I want you to be encouraged to put your hope in God. Earlier this year, we said goodbye to one of the great global evangelists of church history. Certainly the greatest evangelist of the 20th century, Dr. Billy Graham. He died in his 100th year, just before he got to his 100th birthday. Personally, he ministered to over 2.2 million people in the earth. And his spread and reach of ministry was way beyond that. One of his friends says that Dr. Graham had one great aim in life. It was to be a communicator of hope. Someone in a poetic sense said this, Dare we hope? We dare. Can we hope? We can. Should we hope? We must. To do other would be to waste one of the most precious gifts that's been freely given by God. There are many songs that have captured the thought of hope. And of course, in Arena Church, we sing many songs. We try and stay current. We try and sort of sense what God is saying. But you see... Uh, worship will always bring us back to this great theme. And one of my favourites that's been in Arena Church over recent years is, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus, blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the weakest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Saviour's love through the storm.
He is Lord of all. I'd love to say, friends, as I close, that as a Christian, you'll never go through a storm. But none of you would believe me. But as we go through the storms, he's with us. As we go through the storms, we'll prevail. And like the psalmist, you may want to vent your spleen at times at God. You may want to cry out to him and say, God, you don't seem to be listening at the moment. You can be as open as you can with God because the psalmists were. But I want to encourage you this morning because hope is foundational, because it's internal, it's within us, because it's inspirational, it takes us into destiny. And because it's eternal, it defines us forever. I want to say that whatever situation you've been through, and maybe you've camped there, whatever situation you're going through, and whatever any of us would face going forward, be that as individuals or as a church, I encourage you this morning, friends, in a despairing world, to live different, to not be downcast, but to put your hope in God. Let's pray.